Hello and welcome to another episode of Balanced Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Laura Spath is a 36-year-old working mom. When a serious health scare inspired her husband, Chris, to take ownership of his health, he decided to try the carnivore diet, and soon after, Laura joined him. Laura and her husband ended up losing a combined 250 pounds due to their joint adoption of the carnivore diet. After years of yo-yo dieting and struggling with their weight, these two were able to turn the tides. Today, they share their inspirational story with us and let us know how they achieved such remarkable weight loss. Their kiddos also eat a clean, whole foods diet, and from the looks of it, seem to be thriving and enjoying it. Laura and Chris focus on feeding their kiddos high-protein meals and keeping grains, sugars, and seed oils out of their diet. Laura is a co-host of the Cutting Against the Grain podcast with her friend and author, Judy Cho. You can follow Laura's journey on Instagram, at Laura E. Spath. Laura, what a pleasure to welcome you to Balance Body Radio. Thank you, Casey. I'm really excited to be here. That was a very kind intro. Thanks. <laughs> very well earned and abbreviated for sure. You have such an interesting journey and in you know following you for a little while um, and kind of looking into things, I've learned a lot about your life. Um, you have a competitive edge to you. Is that correct? Very much so. I am... A, not a person that you want to get into a monopoly battle with. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, that's exactly where I was going with this. Actually, during yes. the pandemic, um, we we kind of started playing like board games a little bit more and like card games a little bit more. And oh. my wife Bethany is also very competitive, but she also has an empathetic um, side of her. I'm sure you have the same. I uh, I don't actually. I think I miss uh. the empathetic gene. I am just absolutely cutthroat in every way. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So 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 with Bethany, she is cutthroat, but she's also so empathetic that like she feels really bad about it afterwards, and so she'll play some <laughs> hand that is just vicious and just like super savage and will smoke me at something. And then she won't even be able to like make eye contact with me. Like she'll look kind of down into the left over by where the stairs are. Like, so that's a little bit different. You'll do it. You'll do it with uh, blood coming down your mouth. <laughs> oh, and I'll laugh and cackle afterwards. She's much more of a, an actual human than I am. I'm probably more of a monster. <laughs> that's hilarious. Thanks for clarifying that. I and remind yeah. me not to play Monopoly with you or play cards with you after you turn 50 years old. You will be an absolute card shark. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we mentioned a little bit in the intro, your health story, and it's so fascinating. Um, I would love for you to tell kind of what your life was like meeting Chris and what kind of things you guys dealt with that led you to this path you're on today. Sure. Um, I love that you said interesting because in some ways I feel very normal, or I think I've learned more with sharing this story, how common in a lot of ways, my story is the, you know, go to college, start gaining weight, gain some more weight, go on a diet, lose 20 pounds, have a cheat day, gain 30 pounds, and really spend your 20s like gaining and losing weight. I was always really good at losing 20 pounds, but then I would celebrate with a cheat day and never get back on track again afterwards. And so over the years, my weight just, I would say pretty gradually went up um, bit by bit, but with a lot of yo-yos up and down, right. It, it wasn't just consistently going up. It was the up 20, you know, down 20, up 30, that type of thing. When I met my husband, um, I was probably 230 pounds around there. And he was also, um, pretty close to 300 pounds at the time. We, we both had, I mean, I had tried many different diets, um, around the time that we met and we met, we were friends. We worked together for several years and then we got married and got pregnant pretty much right at the same time. And 
we, my husband found out he was type two diabetic. And so that was, a, you know, a little bit of a wake up call. I wish I could say it was the wake up call that we both needed, but his doctors made such a mild case about it that we really didn't realize the gravity of it at the time. It was like, here, take this medication and then maybe lose some weight. Um, so we, he did, he started doing a little bit. We, I had just had our daughter. And so I was kind of at my heaviest at that point. I had, um, gained a lot of weight during that pregnancy. And so we both did a pretty low ish carb, uh, at the time, this was about seven years ago. So we tried to do low carb. And again, we lost actually that time. We both lost around 50 pounds and we're feeling great. And then same thing had a cheat day and then realized, well, we lost the weight. Now we can go back to eating our old way again, which is, I think what so many people do. And then, you know, things really, we had another baby at that point. Um, my son, I gained a lot of weight with that pregnancy as well. And so kind of all of this up and down weight together, we would always go on this diet and have a cheat day together and, and go back and forth accumulated into the fact that our son was uh, like a year and a half old. My husband ended up with necrotizing fasciitis, which is a flesh eating bacteria. And Ugh. if I hadn't watched Gray's Anatomy for years, I wouldn't have even known what that was, right? It's oh, wow. just this like crazy thing where they literally your bacteria is eating the flesh off of your body, um, which was a pretty terrifying time. So through months in the hospital and countless surgeries, um, thankfully, I mean, it's a miracle he didn't lose his arm um, or obviously anything worse. They kind of it's pretty graphic, but like they kind of stripped his arm, like all the way down to the muscle and took all this flesh off and were able to stop the infection. The reason wow. why it got to the, yeah, it's sounds terrible. Like, I mean, we used to go hunting as a kid and like butcher deer and it looked exactly like something like really terrible, oh um, God. like that, Crazy. like pictures that you've seen. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we finding out later, like, why did that happen? Like, how do you get to a point where your body takes a simple infection and it turns into this flesh eating, you know, bacteria or this flesh eating disease. And a lot of that is just based on how unhealthy you are. Your body is so unhealthy that mild infections or mild bacteria that are introduced for somebody who is extremely at the time type two diabetic and dealing with high blood pressure and cholesterol and like you know, on all kinds of medications, your body then can't fight off those simple infections uh, or viruses if we want to make this a more current situation. And so him being in that place, his body was introduced to that. And then obviously really just couldn't handle the antibiotics, couldn't handle any of that. And um, that was, that was definitely uh, a big moment for us. I wish I could say that the next day we woke up and started doing low carb and carnivore and got on track, but we definitely didn't. There was a lot of you know, stress and trauma and emotions that, you know, he obviously went through and I went through as a, a caregiver and a mom during that time. And so it really took us a while to recover from that whole experience emotionally before we were in a place where we felt like we could address our weight. And, you know, over the course of that time, I was having uh, gallbladder issues. I was having a lot of digestive issues. I was seeing a surgeon potentially about having like some, you know, intestinal surgery. Um, I was seeing, you know, a specialist as far as like potentially having my gallbladder out and a lot of different issues that I was having from a health perspective. Um, 
And so we both were just really sick and really unhealthy. And so once again, like so many times before we started some kind of low carb diet and keto was really big at the time. This was early 2018 when keto was just blowing up. And so that was really the, where we started. Um, and then thankfully over time, we found carnivore kind of, I think this is the, this time it was different where rather than just going on a diet with the intention of losing weight, we went down this education rabbit hole where Chris really took the reins on that to find out why did he get sick in the first place and how does that not happen again? Through some Facebook groups, he found out that about 50% of the people who get this flesh-eating bacteria get it again in their life. And that's because they don't fix this metabolic baseline issue and their bodies stay sick and they're so much more susceptible to that infection and it can come back again. And so his main goal at that time was like, I don't want to lose any more body parts here. So, um, let's fix it. And that, I think that's the difference is it stopped being a diet and it started being about actually fixing our health for the first time. Wow. And let me just like reiterate, this is, you know, you guys are in your lower thirties. Like it's not like you're 80 years old and falling apart. Like this is fairly young. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, I tease him a lot. He's 10 years older than me. So I was in my early thirties at the time uh, when that was happening. And he still was, you know, 40 years old. He was 38 when he was diagnosed with uh, type two diabetes and, you know, was around 300 pounds. And so he's in his early forties when I mean, essentially he very much the surgeons at the time and the doctors had told me they didn't know if he was going to make it through a lot of those surgeries. And so he's, you know, 42 and almost died from his health, poor health. Wow. That's crazy. Um, you mentioned something earlier that I think is so important and we are seeing all of these things at younger and younger ages, and we're seeing them more frequently and it's more ubiquitous and we're confusing the difference between normal and average. And I'm just wondering, like in any of this, did you feel like something was broken in you that this, this was what you had to deal with and nothing could fix it. And I'm the problem is, is that kind of like how, how you thought about things? You know, it was almost the opposite. It was almost normalized where my weight and my poor health was, was genetic and was normalized and it wasn't my fault. And it's like, you know, my grandmother was diagnosed with type two diabetes in her fifties. My mom was in her forties and I was pre-diabetic at 30. And so it's like, well, this is genetic. What am I supposed to do about it? You know, like, every, this is a hereditary, my daughter's going to be type two diabetic. She's a baby now, but she's going to, maybe it'll be younger for her than it is for me. And yet I think there's this normalization that happens a lot of times with weight and health when really it's just us passing down our bad habits through the generations. And it's maybe I'm predisposed to have type two diabetes, but that was a lifestyle result of my lifestyle. And you know, that predisposition, but it doesn't mean that that's what it has to be. And so, you know, who knows where that could have led my daughter if we hadn't made those changes. But I think we normalize lifestyle choices and take them out of our own control. And I think that's unfortunately a lot of what happens um, with our health in in today's world. Wow. When you started back on with, with new motivation, obviously your husband's super motivated. Who were the people that really inspired you the most in the beginning? Was it like a a story of of somebody's, you know, personal transformation? Was it somebody you were following? Like who were the people that you were going to for help? 
You know, interestingly, there wasn't anybody back then in 2018, there really wasn't influencers, I guess, at the time or anybody, especially in carnivore that was publicly sharing their story. There wasn't, you know, YouTube channels of any kind back then. We really found a lot more doctors in the space and podcasts were popping up uh, around that time. So like Dr. Jason Fung was the first time we really, you know, he wrote the diabetic code book, which my husband read. And that was where we first started hearing about fasting and going really low carb, no carb diets and time restricted eating. Like the fact that, you know, taking a 36 hour fast is how you can clean all that sugar out of your liver and, you know, reduce the fatty liver and help regulate your blood sugar. And that's how Chris was able to get off of his diabetes medications. And then, you know, we found people like Ted Naiman, who were talking a lot about the protein to energy ratio and making sure that you're not consuming more energy than your or fat necessarily than you're trying to burn. And if you have this stored energy on your body in the form of fat, then you can function on that in this state of ketosis. And then that really led us to carnivore. We first heard about carnivore through Jordan Peterson um, and a health perspective. And then obviously that was around the time that Sean Baker had gone on Joe Rogan. And so really before things were on social media, um, we started finding out about all of it through some doctors and books, and then obviously into the podcast world. So that definitely was where we started with our research. Wow. Yeah. That's where I got, I got a lot of my information in the beginning, especially, um, <laughs> I had to tell Dr. Baker on the episode that we did with him that even though now, like I'm a coach for his company and I still have not finished the podcast that he did on Rogan because I turned it <laughs> off halfway through and said, this is the most ridiculous, ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Like there's no way. And I turned it off and to this day. I haven't finished it. <laughs> um, I'm super curious to hear when you started you know, kind of going more towards carnivore and, you know, kind of away from just general low carb, what were you hoping to gain? What were some of the benefits you thought you would achieve? You know, from a vanity perspective, I just thought it would help me lose weight faster. And so that was the decision at the time. It wasn't until after I cut out things like nuts and the keto treats and some of the vegetables that I realized how much better my health got, you know, especially from a digestive standpoint. I mean, you know, to get real personal, I dealt struggled tremendously with, you know, hemorrhoids and constipation and a lot of other issues that were around that topic, fun topic. And so the minute I cut out a lot of the vegetables and the fiber and a lot of those that cleared up, you know, and healed tremendously where I was able to cancel a surgery that was planned, um, because I was no longer struggling with a lot of those issues. And so that was not the intention of why I went carnivore at first, but the result obviously then made me kind of dig into it even more. Same thing with a lot of my skin issues and acne. Those were not cleared up until I cut out things like nuts and peanut butter and uh, some of the vegetables that I had been eating before. Mm, interesting. I, I This is just fresh on my mind. I just got off a coaching call where we were talking about this. I'm curious to get your opinion. Even if somebody doesn't want to do carnivore, do you see like really any value in vegetables in somebody's diet? I don't think you need to have them from a health perspective, but I do think that for some people they can be, they can be filling. So if you have an overeating problem, they literally fill up your stomach for not a lot of calories. And so that could be a benefit. I also think that, you know, it provides a variety for people or meat tends to be very rich and is sometimes hard for people to eat a lot of at one time 
especially in the beginning. And so from a variety standpoint, if you're somebody who's struggling with, you know, eating only meat um, and you don't have a negative reaction, I do think that that could be a benefit. Again, I don't think it's needed from a vitamin standpoint, but I think some people do well mentally and it can be helpful to have a side of asparagus uh, with whatever meat that they're doing. And that makes them feel, makes this, makes this whole transition easier for them. And then I do think that, that it's worth doing. Yeah, that's, that's very well explained. I think that's totally fair. Um, I'm curious your carnivore diet, how has that progressed over time? Like when you look back, when you first started, what things were you doing differently than you are now? I mean, not, not a lot. Um, I was doing one meal a day for three years, I think in the very beginning, I think looking back now at some of the pictures I had posted when I first started doing one meal a day, I definitely wasn't eating enough. And I think that had caused me some problems back then. I was posting a picture of a, a one pound ribeye and saying like my one meal for the day, this is a one pound ribeye. And then I just knowing myself at the time I was cutting out the middle chunks of fat. And so when you look at that from a calorie perspective and a nutrient perspective, it really wasn't enough food, uh, to be the only thing that you're eating in a 24 hour period. Um, and so I do think that was part of, you know, some, why I wasn't feeling my best during that time. So over time I started eating more, that was definitely a big part of it. I started adding fat to things. So I was getting in, you know, a higher amount of calories during the day that helped a lot with norm, you know, regulating hormones, um, and a lot with just really may having, giving me more energy overall. So I think that was a slight transition that I made was just ensuring that I was getting enough eating enough. And then I would say it really after three years, I just could no longer eat enough in one meal to be able to sustain me for the day. Like I just, I, I hadn't been eating a large pizza and ice cream in one sitting anymore. And it's been many years since I've done that. And so I just couldn't eat the volume of food anymore that I initially could, which is, I mean, that's why I loved one meal a day in the beginning, because I could eat so much and feel completely stuffed and not just feel restricted all day long. I loved that element. And it really helped me lose a lot of weight that way. But then I got to a point where I just was under eating because I couldn't eat enough in one sitting. So the, the other transition really would just be, you know, more recently I've been doing, um, two meals a day, most of the time. Gotcha. And so, I, I mean, I'm really, I haven't had any big dramatic changes other than that. I might go through a period of time where I cut out cheese and that's just simply because of a weight perspective, I've been eating too much and I'm kind of letting that bad habit creep in of snacking on cheese too much. And I need to balance that. Or I take the fasting lever up and down depending on how I'm doing and what my goals are at the time. But other than that, it's, you know, that's, that's pretty much, I've been blessed where I've been able to keep it simple and not have to like really dig into any, um, anything that's not working. Yeah. That's tremendous. You mentioned pictures of food. You take amazing pictures of food. That picture <laughs> you posted of the, your recent tomahawk. Oh my goodness. Like, like <laughs> drooling all over my phone when, I mean, so, so you're working professional, you've got a family, you've got a lot going on. Why did you decide to make this kind of a public thing and share this message? I mean, it seems like you're so busy with everything else, first of all, but second of all, I mean, what, what was it about you that made you want to share this message? I mean, I really hadn't planned on it or it wasn't even really a goal of mine. I kind of 
you know, call myself an accidental influencer where I had posted a before and after picture when I had hit 120 pounds weight loss and I was proud. And so I posted that on my personal, I mean, that's my handle is my first name and my last name, like my personal picture where I posted pictures of the kids and stuff uh, occasionally. And so I was proud and I wanted to share that with family and friends. And so I posted this before and after picture and, and tagged a couple of people who had helped me. And that was, you know, Sean Baker and, and some people like that originally, and they reshared it. And again, this was really before anybody else was sharing on Instagram in that way. And so pretty quickly that with them sharing those pictures, um, I mean, I just, next thing I know, I have, you know, quite a, a following that I wasn't expecting. And so I just started posting pictures of like, well, this is what I'm eating today. And then people would ask questions and I kind of would answer them in a post form. And, um, in a lot of ways, I think it was just, it ended up being very motivating for me. It gave me a sense of accountability and I, I do contribute me sharing things to me being able to maintain this. There's been times where, you know, maybe it's helped talk me out of going off track or, you know, being lazy or, or eating something that I shouldn't have, because I want to show people that it's possible for somebody like me who was a hundred pounds overweight for essentially no reason other than just, I ate too much over the years who felt like I could never lose weight, who felt like I could never stick to a diet plan. Like, I think there's just the more I shared, the more people shared their stories. And I realized how common it was and how much we all struggle with this. And that I hoped that it would help me stick to it. And then also hopefully just help other people see how possible it was for them. And somebody who's also struggling with a lot of the same things that I still struggle with. Wow. That's awesome. Um, can you think of just maybe the first one that comes to your head, like a, a story of somebody who you helped along the way, specifically through your Instagram um, platform? Um, I think so. It's really transitioned through, through our family. I mean, through my family and, and even I would say like, I would start sharing stuff on Instagram and social media. And I would have friends from high school who I hadn't talked to. Like I have a friend from high school and he and his wife um, went on a diet and they both have lost like 75 pounds each doing this. And this is a person that I was, you know, friends with in high school. I hadn't talked to in 15 years. And he reached out and said, Hey, you've been sharing your story, by the way, I've been watching. And I can't believe that, you know, I've, we we're doing better. We're my wife's, we're going to have a baby now we're healthy enough to do that. And, um, I think people, even in your own life that you don't realize, um, are kind of paying attention to what's going on, which is why I don't think it has to be this big following where all of these unknown people are following you. It's as simple as that random person that's in your current Facebook or Instagram that you haven't talked to in fifth, they're still watching and you can have an impact on the people that are in your life that you don't even realize about. That's why I think no matter the size of your following, it's still important to be sharing your story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it was, it was so cool to learn later on that we were maybe giving a meal plan to this guy, but we didn't realize like he was sharing it with his wife who we'd never met yeah. and she's getting amazing results. I'm like, that's super cool. <laughs> like every action has this like kind of cool little like ripple effect out into the world. Um, that's so awesome that you decided to share your story and be so vocal about it. Did you ever get any pushback from anybody? You know, I had a, a boss at the time, um, years ago who basically sat me down in a, what was supposed to be like a professional one-on-one -on -one meeting and told me that I had an eating disorder and that he, 
you know, didn't want to be around me anymore when, you know, when I was uh, eating and that it was just too disheartening for him to like watch me be so obsessed with my weight. And, you know, he taking pictures of food and it was just an unhealthy obsession and stuff that I had. And um, I think that was definitely one of the harder moments for me because it not only was he a boss, he was a friend and, and um, just kind of an awkward situation where you're like, I said, like, what am I supposed to do about it? And I'm, he wasn't saying anything when I was literally living off of gas station food or eating snacks all day long in our business meetings. But now that I skipped a day of eating, like I, I must have a problem when I'm no longer a hundred pounds overweight. Like I think it took me a while. Like you're, you're laughing. It's funny. It is funny now, but in the moment it's so hurtful. You know, when people, it takes, it took me some time to kind of get over that and get to a point where I'm like, he's, he's a mess. Like it's what he eats is a mess. And I think he's reflecting his own insecurities onto me because he can't, he hasn't changed, but I have. And I, you know, same thing. I had a friend who, she and I were just kind of a hot mess together and like failing at diets together was almost what bonded us. And then all of a sudden I stopped being as much of a hot mess. And then, you know, the next thing I know, she's like blocked me on social media. And I think it's, there's something that's hard when you see other people changing and growing and, and you feel betrayed in a lot of ways. And uh, I think that's, it sometimes does people go through a lot of really hard things with that, with family members and, friends. Yeah, sure. I see it all the time. And it's so interesting that you needed, you needed that big like health scare to get you to the proper motivation, um, to be able to do the, a a more strict, you know, diet. And I'm, I'm curious, like, is that what everybody needs? Does everybody need to get to that point of like, you have a disease, you've got something big in your life that, that like as a health scare, do, do we need a health scare to like start getting people to eat right? hope not. I mean, we definitely, because unfortunately when you get to that point, some people are unhealthy enough that they're not going to make it through. And I think we're seeing that a lot in this last year, especially, you know, if you're unhealthy enough, these things that hopefully you are, you know, if you're a healthy, strong person, you're able to overcome, then you no longer have that ability and your body just really can't fight those things off. And so I would hope that we don't need those things, which is why I think people sharing their stories is helpful because then you realize you don't want to have that major health issue and have that scare. Uh, so I do think that's important. I think that people definitely have to be ready though, and they have to find out why they want to do it as much as we try. We can't convince our family and friends to do this. And even your spouses, you know, I know I get messages a lot about people who are like doing this, but how do I get my husband on board or how do I get my kids on board? Those are things that are so hard. And it, it's so much harder for you to stay on track when those around you are eating things that you're quote, not allowed to have. Um, but I think you also can't, it's only going to create animosity if you're trying to convince them to do something before they're ready. So I, it has to be a mindset. I do think though, that you don't have to be in a place where you're saying, I'm going to change my entire life and my entire lifestyle. And I'm going to lose hundred pounds and eat only meat for the rest of my life. If you would have told me that when I was 263 pounds, I would have said, forget it, or let's just order pizza. That's way too hard. And so thinking you have to change your entire life before you can start is very overwhelming for most people, especially people who are dealing with the exhaustion of just being overweight and trying to focus more on making a choice today and making small changes 
for some people is so much more manageable. And for me, I don't know if I could have gone straight from pizza and Ben and Jerry's to strict carnivore, all meat. I don't think I could have done that transition. And so for me, the gradual shift that I did made it so that I was able to appreciate being strict and then also understand why it was necessary for me. Mm. And did you feel like getting small wins periodically when you were first started was, was becoming more motivating for you to make further changes? Oh, absolutely. Every time I hit that stall, that's when I would maybe cut out the low carb tortillas, or I would cut out the keto treats, or I would cut out the nuts. And like, it almost was like the stair step where I would listen, if it's working and I'm losing weight and I can have a low carb tortilla, great. And those things work when you're a hundred pounds overweight, but after you lose 30 pounds and you're stalled, great, those got to go. And they've never come back in because I just can't, if I wanted to stay, you know, at that weight that I was before I could have maybe kept those in. Um, but eventually I had to cut them out and then I had to cut out some other things or the treats or whatever that might be. But for me, I always just focused on the results and then maybe cutting those things out helped me to break that stall or to keep losing. And then that was like a win, like, great. That's it worked. That's why I did it. And it really took away that temptation of needing to reintroduce it or even missing that food because I realized I was getting better results without them. Yeah, interesting. I can tell your thinking on this has evolved over time and listening to you explain this on your podcast, which you do quite well. Um, cheats, it's something you talk about quite a bit. And my mindset has also changed quite a bit around this. Can you tell us um, you know, what, it, what a cheat meal kind of is and what your opinion is of a cheat meal? So I think that a cheat meal is for me would be something that's like pure carbs and sugar and just absolute trash. Um, I don't know if I would consider like a vegetable, a, like if I had a piece of asparagus, I don't think I would consider that a cheat. It's definitely not carnivore. It's not something I do, but it's not bad. I mean, it's, there's, it's fine. Having a pint of Ben and Jerry's would be a cheat, a major cheat. And so I think, you know, I had always incorporated them in my life and always struggled so hard with getting back on track again. And then all the cravings would flare up. You know, you retain a lot of water at that point, getting back into ketosis was so hard. And so really when we started in March, it, we just really kept pushing out those days. Like we would plan a cheat day and then when it would come up to the day we thought we were going to do it and we would just push it off. And I started realizing the more that I pushed those off, almost the easier that it got. And, you know, as much as having that sugar or that treat in the moment gave you this, obviously that sense of, you know, dopamine in the moment and gave you this excitement, the stress that it caused for days or weeks afterwards and the physical pain that it caused afterwards um, definitely was not worth having that food in the moment. And so it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that I don't want those things a lot of times, but if I'm trying to kind of talk myself out of it, I just have to continue to remind myself that the stress and it's just, it's just not worth it for me. It's not worth it from a physical standpoint. It's not worth it from a mental standpoint. And so it's just not something that from a health perspective I can keep in my life because I'm not capable of regulating that. I think some people are, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with, you know, like a different boss than the one I mentioned, but I traveled this week with my boss. He eats pretty keto. He eats pretty low carb. Most of the time we were at a restaurant and there was, um, uh, some carb food and he just like had that. And then the next day he went back to doing low carb and no carb. 
it's not something that he doesn't struggle with food addiction or with the cravings that I do. And so it wasn't even a second thought for him to like take a few bites of this dessert. And then the next day, go back to eating keto again. Like I would be done for the trip with a couple bites of dessert and then probably pushed through the entire weekend of binging on carbs and then tried on Monday to start a new strict diet. Like I'm just so extreme of a person, which circles all the way back to being competitive. I just don't know how to do anything not in an extreme form. And so looking at him doing that is almost torture for me when having nothing is so much easier. (laughs) Wow. I always, my entire life, I thought I was that guy, but I'm way more like you. Like a few weeks ago, it was a weekend and I wanted some pie and I bought a pie and thought it was going to be delicious. And I don't eat pie very often, like maybe a few times a year. And I had this pie. I could not stop. I couldn't stop. It was bite after bite after bite. I I ate pretty much the entire thing, hardly slept, had crazy anxiety the next morning. There is something to be said of like, if you decide to be a little bit more on the strict side on carnivore, one benefit is it just eliminates all the other things. Like you don't have to ask yourself like, is this okay? Is this carnivore? Like the whole middle of a grocery store, just not your food. Like it's not your place. You know where to go and you know exactly what to get. It makes the whole thing a lot more simple for a lot of people. It is. I think that's it. There's no guesswork in it. Is it meat? Eat it. Great. Is it not? Then think about it. (laughs) Don't eat it. Or, you know, there's no rules against it, but just really think about, is this what's going to help you? Because you know that the meat will help you so much. And I think just like you said, there's so many people who convince themselves that they can moderate in that way, but they really can't. And so we, we convince ourselves that like this night and this bite and this one food, this one time, but then it turns into a six months and we've gained a lot of weight. You know, I could have in 2020, especially I could have very easily gained back that entire 120 pounds. I did gain some because of moments like that and things like you said, or decisions that I tried to make, but, and I thought I could regulate myself, but you know, it would have been very easy for me to gain all of that weight back, um, within that year. No problem. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I like the idea of don't call it a cheat. Just, just change the wording, call it a treat and then have it as, as the least amount that you can tolerate and and make it really count. Like if you're going to do it, like go ahead, have whatever like cookies you want or don't, don't make it be like a sleeve of Oreos every afternoon. But if there's like a homemade, whatever, and you, you're, you want it, that's great. Call it a treat, get back on track as soon as possible. And, and you'll find the same thing. I'm sure that you found is like, there's, there's just so many less days that I want to feel like shit. Like, I don't want to feel right. like shit tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I will want to feel like shit, but I, I, I don't want yes. that for myself. And so yeah. it's so much easier to stay on track. And I think deciding afterwards, like take away the shame from it, take away the punishment, because then that just makes it worse and makes you want to eat more things than the shame cycle that happens. Or, you know, try to remind yourself, like, is this worth me feeling terrible tomorrow? Like you said, am I going to feel like crap? Is this what I want? And sometimes the answer might be yes. Like I can do this and no regrets. And I'm going to feel like trash for a few days and live it up because this is that food that means that much to me for whatever reason. But Most of the time, it's the things that are coming up for us is are things that, 
you know, are always going to be there. Again, the pineup Ben and Jerry's like that will be there forever. It's not worth me feeling like trash for three or four days and having achy joints and bad digestion and my skin's going to break out and mental cravings and anxiety and feeling frustrated and stressed and upset with myself. Like none of that is worth it for Ben and Jerry's because that's it. It exists. It will be there forever. It's always going to be there. Like move on. You've had it a thousand times in your life. It's not worth it to me. And maybe at some point, if I'm in Italy and I'm on vacation and there's treats and pasta and those are things I probably would enjoy and it might be worth it for me to feel like trash when I come back from that and be bloated and have all that terrible experience. But again, in the moment, maybe not. Maybe I want to enjoy being active and not having a lot of, you know, being constipated for a week while I'm on vacation, like whatever that is. Um, I don't know until I'm in that moment, but anything at the grocery store is just absolutely no longer worth it to me anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. Very well explained. I'm so glad you brought this up. Travel. I really wanted to talk to you about travel and some tips that you might have for somebody who wants to eat in this certain way, but is also doing a lot of travel. So, I mean, really, I think it's so, it's so much more simple than if you were obviously trying to be plant-based or, you know, even keto, there's so many question marks on everything, but I can, and except for a vegan restaurant, I can go to pretty much any restaurant and they're going to have something that I can eat. I try to look at menus ahead of time. Obviously that's going to be ideal. You know, we had, I had some business meetings this week that were all at restaurants, Uh, One of them was like a morning coffee shop brunch place. And I didn't eat. Some people ate, some people didn't. Some people were having all the avocado toasts and the sweet coffees. I just sat there with my water bottle and we had a meeting and I just didn't eat. And I don't think anybody even noticed that I didn't eat the shared plates of food that were in the middle of the table. Um, Or that I had my own, you know, uh, refillable water jug that I brought with me and they all had some coffee and some of them had their own um, refillable cups they brought and really nobody noticed. Another time we had a meal at lunch probably would have been pretty noticeable if I wasn't eating when everybody else was ordering at a sit down lunch. So I went and looked at the menu ahead of time. They had, if they have a burger on the menu, you're safe. If they have any kind of steak or chicken, you know, all those things that are going to be on the menu, you're totally fine. And so I ordered a burger with bacon and cheese and I just said, no bun. It obviously all come with sides. And so most of the time I say no sides, but all the women at the table had ordered salads. And so I said, oh, why don't you bring those fries and just put them on a separate plate in the middle of the table? And so, of course, all the women who ordered salads are still hungry. So they start munching on the shared plate of fries in the middle of the table (laughs) because they still need food. And I'm just sitting there eating my giant burger patty with bacon and cheese and, and had a wonderful meal. And really it's I think low carb is such a common thing now that to order a burger with no bun, the way, you know, the servers don't blank about it. Your people you're eating with don't even think twice about it. Like it's just a thing to say no bun and you might end up overpaying for it depending on where you're at. And that definitely happens to me occasionally. If I'm trying to be accommodating to a group, I typically end up like overpaying for that plain old burger patty, but it, certainly have never had a hard time finding something to eat 
wherever I go. Good. Oh, that's great. Uh, one way to get around all of that is to choose like the right restaurant. And you recently yes. um, were at a Brazilian steakhouse and you actually have inspired the two of us to have a monthly boundless body uh, retreat uh, recap at a Brazilian steakhouse near us. Um, I, I used to live in Brazil, so I just have to ask, have you ever tried, oh, wow. uh, have you ever tried Coração uh, chicken hearts? I haven't. So one of the Brazilian steakhouses near us has those and they walk around on the skewer with them. But I think I was too chicken to, uh, to eat it before, but I, I know I hear so many people talk about, they love them. So I definitely, I should try it. Candy. Absolute candy. They're so good. I get them at my store. They're like, nobody wants them. And so they're super cheap. You just marinate them in like oil and a little bit of garlic or something. And, and on the grill, they're just absolutely outstanding. So yeah, don't be a, don't be a chicken and uh, <laughs> have some chicken hearts. They're so good. Um, I will. Awesome. Another thing that you are an expert in, I would consider you an expert in it is, is parenting and kiddos. How difficult was it for you to have your family be eating the same foods that you guys eat? Well, I will. I don't know if my kids would consider me an expert in parenting, <laughs> but, um, wait till I they think, turn you know, 20, when they turn 20, they will. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think selfishly, you know, we switched what our kids were eating because we couldn't handle the temptation of it being in the house when you first start and you're being super strict all day long and it's 10, you know, late at night and the kids are in bed and they have junk food in the pantry. Like I would eat that. And that was not helping me obviously stick, stay on track. And so that was a lot of it where we just decided that we don't need those things in their house. But obviously I also didn't want my kids to end up with the same health consequences that we had. And so in a lot of ways, they never really had a ton of that as a kid, like Chris and I were, would feed our kids really healthy meals. They would go to bed and then we'd order a pizza and eat ice cream. So like, that's pretty, that's kind of the sickness that we had at the time where, you know, they're eating meat and vegetables and then we're eating pizza and ice cream, but, um, kind of hiding it, which is obviously a very unhealthy behavior. I think I'm trying so hard to raise kids who are little moderators and who know that they can have that cake on their birthday, or they can have dessert on vacation, but they can't eat those things all the time because too much sugar can make you sick. And that's what happened to their mom and dad. And we focus on the sugar and the sickness versus the weight loss or the obesity, or obviously anything to talk about, you know, fat or weight. And so they don't feel restriction, I think, because if they go to a friend's birthday party, then they will probably eat pizza and cake. But when they come home and in our house, they know that we, you know, we eat meat, we always eat our protein first. They eat three meals a day. We saw a tremendous increase in their behavior and in their appetite when we simply cut out snacks. I don't know too many snacks for kids that aren't just empty carbs. And so cutting out the snacks instantly made them hungrier for their meals and we focus on protein first. And if they want something else after their protein, they can have it. And so, you know, for lunch today, my seven-year-old had a New York strip and my five-year-old had a plain burger patty. When they finished, you know, my daughter had some zucchini and some cheese and my son had a handful of macadamia nuts and some pepperonis. And so it's like protein first, what do you want afterwards? And pretty much anything in the house is fair game because they all know it's that maybe it's some almond flour crackers or some, they have, you know, 
those cassava flour chips they have occasionally or something along those lines. But I think first and foremost, if somebody's looking to switch their kids, it's just controlling what's in your house is, is 90% of it. And if they want to go to a restaurant and do when we're on vacation and, and have a treat with their cousins, great. When we come home, we know we're going to take a break for a few days because we just had some sugar or they had some sugar, um, during that trip. So obviously they're not that old yet. I hope that they grow up and know what that means to have things and then to move on and to not obsess about them or to not worry about it. Um, I don't know, you know, they had a discussion at lunch today. Penelope just kept going on and on about how much she loves steak. And Nathaniel said, what about steaks? You like steak better than ice cream. That's crazy. And she's like, yes, absolutely. And he's five and says, you're crazy. I want ice cream every day. So like, (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be like for them when they get older. I hope that they understand the concept of, you know, the difference between daily foods and moderation. And I don't know. I I just, um, I, that's all I hope for them is for them to have a healthier relationship with food than Chris and I have had. Mm. Did you think, did you end up thinking that it was easier than you thought to transition them off of crappy foods? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a couple cranky days for sure, especially when we cut out snacks. But the minute they don't have snacks for a couple of days, they stop asking for them. They eat enough at their three meals for the day that I don't think they, I mean, they never ask for a snack because they're just not hungry. And I was one of those moms when they were toddlers who literally wouldn't go to the grocery store without three snack options in my purse to try to like keep them entertained in the cart or whatever. But the minute you, I mean, it was probably a couple, you know, some cranky times in the beginning, but the minute that those are not an option anymore, that they just really forget about it. And they, they get very excited for meals, but then they're not, they're not hungry in between. Um, and you realize how much kids actually don't need those empty carbs between meals. Um, because I know so many, I mean, before they would be eating, you know, the goldfish at two o'clock and then refuse any protein or anything of decent, at dinner, well, I just had a bunch of goldfish crackers and graham crackers or whatever veggie straws or whatever they're supposed to be eating that are all empty carbs. And then they have no appetite for an actual meal um, or protein of any kind. Wow. Well, I love that you acknowledge that they might have a different, you know, kind of future than you did. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like what, what a gift, (laughs) what I I wouldn't trade to like have that experience growing up, you know, we eat cold cereal and skim milk and snacks and treats and all that crap. And no wonder I was always falling asleep in class. I couldn't ever pay attention. Like, of course, (laughs) you're eating terrible food. So I'm going to be very curious to see um, how that continues as they age, but it's so cool for them too. Like you don't need to snack, like go play, go enjoy being a kid. It's amazing. That's so awesome. I hope I was raised not low carb at all, but very strict on, we never ate out as a kid. We grew all of our own vegetables. My mom baked homemade bread pretty much every day. Um, We got to pick out on our birthday, a box of sugar cereal from the grocery store. And I think, you know, my, I'm, I didn't have a cookie until I was like, you know, seven years old, maybe like just, I mean, it was very, as far as like traditional sugar or desserts or, um, no fast food, no processed food, no packaged food. And so I all of a sudden went to college and got super obsessed with Taco Bell and gas station food and soda because I never had it in my life before. And it was just this mythical forbidden thing, which is why I think we have chosen the path of occasional moderation, special occasion things, 
they get to have carbs and sugar and things. And we try to normalize balance. I don't know, who knows? I, I pray I'm doing the right thing, but I don't want them to leave my house and go to college and, you know, binge on Taco Bell and hostess white powder donuts like I did. And I, <laughs> nothing, my parents didn't do anything wrong. And it's certainly nothing about that. I think it's obviously, there's so many factors with it, but I think that's our goal with why we don't do zero sugar a hundred percent of the time for them. Um, because I want to hopefully have them understand like the, you know, what makes them feel good and what makes them not feel good and let them figure that out for themselves. I, don't I know. love that. I love that. I don't have kids, but <laughs> I mean, it, you, hearing you gives me a lot of hope thinking that it doesn't need to be as complicated as people make it or as people think. And you can give the kids, you know, the decision and they will make good choices. They don't want to feel crappy right. either. That's so cool. I yeah. love that. I love that. So you, you get to work with Judy on your podcast, Cutting Against the Grain. I just want to know, what does that mean to work with such a good friend and, and do podcasting with her? You know, we, she and I are so different and I love that. And I think that's why we've had fun with this where, you know, I am really very much just about not teaching anybody what to do about anything. And I try very hard to just only share my experience. And, you know, hopefully that's a, a pinpoint or a data point that people can use to figure out what's going to work for them. And she is so great with the information. And obviously she wrote a book about carnivore uh, and is able to give out so much data and so much science. And sometimes what she shares for me is complicated and overwhelming. And so I think that hopefully through this podcast, you know, people want more information sometimes than I can give them. They ask me questions about what they should be doing specifically. And I don't know, and I can't give them that guidance. And, you know, sometimes too much information can be overwhelming. And so, or kind of go over people's heads. And so our goal with this podcast is to really bridge those two things where it's, you know, hopefully relatable and informative. Um, she and I, have different views on a lot of things, which, you know, hopefully makes for some great discussion about it. And so that's, that's really our goal with this podcast is just to try to, you know, again, give people some information and share some motivation uh, and help them figure out what works for them. Well, that style definitely shines through. You guys do such a great job, um, you know, presenting that information in the way that you just communicated that you want to, which is, which is amazing. Um, have you, you been surprised how enjoyable podcasting is? You know, it's nice from my perspective because I am the show up and record person. Judy is amazing and takes care of all the back end stuff and she puts it all together and uploads it and her and her husband really manage that. I just am the the lazy one that shows up and talks. And so she really puts all the work into that uh, from a timing time perspective. And I'm so grateful and appreciative. And I think that's also why it's possible because you know, I do work a corporate full-time job right now and the nutrition with Judy space is, is her, is her job. And so, um, we're able to, to balance that together a little bit, but I think for things that are a bigger time commitment for me tend to kind of fall off, which is why I don't maybe put as much focus on YouTube on my, on my YouTube channel, because I get overwhelmed thinking about the time commitment that it takes. And then I just push it off because I have other, you know, family and, and my real job and other other things that, um, take precedent over that. Sure. Wow. Well, that's great. 
At the end of every week, my wife and I ask each other what we call the three questions. And they are questions about, you know, how the week went, what we were happy with and proud of, what things we wish we'd done better, things like that. And you have your own set of three questions that you like to ask. So I am going to ask you those questions. And the first is, what is something that is going very well for you right now? You know, I am... I recently started a new job and I have gone back to traveling um, literally every week now. And so that's been a big adjustment for me. And I think from a food perspective, I was very nervous about that causing me to kind of fall off the wagon and be overwhelmed. But I think my job has been going really well, which is taking a lot of the stress from a, a you know, from a work perspective. And it's almost made things easier for me traveling, being out of the house being on the road, not having access to food all the time has made snacking go down. It's made my, you know, it's made me focus more on meals to stop the grazing. And so I think one thing that's just going well is that transition and routine. And I'm, I'm feeling relief and also feeling proud of myself that I haven't let the traveling throw me off of track, um, or cause me to pick up some unhealthy eating habits. Mm. I love that. What a great answer. Second question. What is one area in your life that you feel stuck? I, I still feel really stuck with my weight. I'm not the lowest weight that I was ever. I'm stuck mentally accepting that maybe that's okay. But I also do think that I still can lose some more and find a balance between the weight that I am now and, and that lowest weight ever. I'm stuck with how do I get there? without pushing myself in an unhealthy way. And so, or doing something that's unsustainable. Um, I think before I was healthy getting to that low weight, but it just, the effort that it took to get there was not sustainable with my life to stay there as far as the amount of exercise and, and those type of things. So mentally and phys physically, my weight is stuck. And then mentally I'm kind of stuck accepting it or also just, doing anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that plays uh, perfectly into the last question, which is what are you going to do differently about that? I 2021 is the year of dear God, please let, let's work on consistency. <laughs> and so that's been my goal is what am I doing different is I'm trying to just be patient and consistent, which is the advice I give to most people. And it's what I'm trying to take myself. And so you know, I have not yet had a year where I have had a stable weight for the entire year. I haven't had a year where I have done, you know, the same structure for the entire year. And so while my weight is not where I want it to be, in some ways, just staying the same is a win for me. And I am trying so hard to do the same thing, which is very different for me because being consistent is, is not something that I've really ever done. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. I wish we could show ourselves a little bit more grace and and self-love when we are just maintaining, like the, given the direction that most people are going these days, like even just maintaining right. wherever you are is is an amazing accomplishment. We're up against so much, the food companies and the, you know, the the medical system and all this stuff. And so, yeah, as long as you're feeling happy and energetic and loving your life, that being consistent is a, a great place to be, really, to maintain. Yeah. Uh, that's Definitely. great. This has been such a fun conversation. I've been looking forward to this 
for quite a while. Um, I want to ask you, what is one simple tip you would like to leave with the listener from this conversation that they can apply in their lives? It can be anything. I think pick out your, pick out one thing to make a change for tomorrow. Literally tomorrow, what are you going to, uh, what's your goal for tomorrow? And just really focusing on baby steps one day at a time, cutting out that after dinner dessert. This is ended up being more than one thing, but what tomorrow I'm not going to have dessert tomorrow because I always have dessert and that's my downfall. And so tomorrow I'm not going to do that. And then really just focusing on, you know, setting goals one day at a time. And I think let that build on, on itself and, um, the results will keep you motivated. Love it. So empowering and inspiring. I love that. That's so awesome. Laura Spath, where can people go to find you and connect with you in your work? The best place is yeah, Instagram or YouTube. Just look for Laura Spath on, on YouTube or Laura E. Spath on Instagram and uh, feel free to reach out and uh, ask any questions. And I'm not sure if I can answer them about what you should do, uh, but I am an open book for myself. And so any questions you have about us or our family, feel free to ask. That's amazing. We will link to that in the show notes. I will be looking forward to seeing a picture of chicken hearts on your plate next time you go to the Brazilian <laughs> Steakhouse. I'm going to hold you to that. So good. good. They're so good. Laura, we're just so grateful for you and your life and the journey that you've been on and your willingness to try different things, to share with your family and then share with the community around you. It makes a really big difference. And like I said, I think it's really empowering. I think it's really um, important for other parents to see that this can be done for your kids and there is a positive result and it's not not maybe as hard as people would imagine and they can still have agency and choose what they want um, but you're creating an environment where they can do that in a really healthy way that will provide an amazing and healthy and happy life so thank you to you for everything that you've done for sharing your message um, being so vulnerable about it, vulnerable about it and coming on our show today we really appreciate it well thank you so much Casey thank you both and I really appreciate it it was uh, great talking to you and I appreciate the conversation so thank you very much absolutely so much fun and this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. 